camera action. Hello, viewers, listeners, watchers of the YouTube, wherever you may be streaming, jumping on, or listening to this podcast slash live one-on-one with Coach Blue. Welcome. It's good to have you all here. This is a weekly show we put on where we open it up to you, the viewer, the listener, um, to jump on and ask questions about addiction, mental health, uh, shoot, whatever, whatever you need help with, I guess. Uh, I am Blue Robinson, head coach of Team Addict to Athlete, licensed mental health therapist, substance use disorder counselor, and uh, I'm sure soon we'll be graced with the presence of our athletic director, Marissa Robinson. Um, but yeah, here we go. Let's jump into this. Um, I want to turn your attention to our website, addicttoathlete.org. We have amazing things on there, specifically if you are if you're wondering about all things addiction, addiction recovery, um, motivation, kind of uh, education, jump on addicttoathlete.org and we can get you guys set up with some content that might really help you, um, you know, make some sense out of a very mucky and cloudy uh, industry. It's kind of a crazy thing. Um, I should turn your attention to the new online Addict to Athlete Addiction Recovery Program we have started our online resource. And if you need counseling, if you need therapy, if you need um, coaching even, jump on and take a look at our three our three outlets. We've got uh, three different styles for you to uh, partake of and to see which is gonna fit your needs. Um, it comes with digital and audio messages and video messages. It comes along with uh, weekly sessions uh, on a therapeutic platform where we can do live video conferencing. And it's gonna be a great way for you not just to understand uh, that you have a support system no matter where you are literally in the world, but also it'll help hone in on maybe some of the causalities and the things that are causing your addiction in the first place. So you can jump on that, that you can find it under the resources tab on Team Addict to Athletes website. Again, that's addicttoathlete.org. And for you who have been, uh, I guess, participating in the Patreon program, uh, you're getting a, a micro dose of the Addict to Athlete Recovery Playbook. And we're giving these out, you know, sometimes two and three times a week, there'll be another one dropping today. And if you jump on Patreon, you can get uh, you can get a small, I guess, glimpse of what this program is going to look like. We're going through the Addict to Athlete Recovery Playbook that I wrote. Um, it's taken about 10 years to perfect, and I'm excited to finally get it out there uh, to you the, the who needs it. Now, remember, it doesn't have to just be used for people that are in addiction recovery. This can be used for anyone who struggles with behaviors, with beliefs, with trauma, with things that they just want to erase and replace with something of greater value. This online program is going to work great for you. So jump on and check it out. Um, It's a great resource to have. Again, addicttoathlete.org. But our Patreon subscribers, you guys are are getting a little bit of a, a sneak preview of all of these. Um, By its end, there'll be 52 different um, uh, attributes of recovery that you'll be able to have on the Patreon platform. So if you'd like to join Patreon to get the the audio version of the uh, recovery playbook, super simple. You jump on patreon.com slash addict T.O. athlete. And there you can uh, you can pick a tier that's going to work best for you. Two dollars a month gets you all of that online recovery program. It's kind of a cool thing. It's just a little snippet. Uh, the online recovery program goes much deeper and there's more uh, to it. 
but uh, the Patreon, if you jump on there, you know, there's, there's several tiers. I think the $2 a month Patreon uh, tier is called the upper deck, which is like the way up there in the nosebleed section, but you still get all the content, all the bonus content. So jump on there, see what you think. Anything above that uh, gets you into offers and merchandise and things that will be us giving back to you for helping us move this program forward. So kind of a cool thing. And again, all of our post podcast that we've always that everyone we've ever done is now on the addict athlete website so if uh, you're new to this jump on and go check it out there's so much content there uh, i met someone just recently that that says holy cow you guys are putting out so much content i can't even keep up um i don't know if that's a good or bad thing but it is a thing so i kind of think that uh, we're going to keep doing it that means it's getting out the message is getting out so again, this is your time. This is your platform. Um, if you want to uh, ask a question, you can either submit it uh, here on the Zoom. And as soon as Marissa gets here, she'll put that link together so you guys can jump on. Feel free to instant message us through the Facebook app and or the YouTube app or submit it to blue at addict2athlete.org if you want us to read it on the next episode. And so today, it's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to start with a question um, specifically about addiction recovery. And it looks like um, you know, there's, there's, some, there's some real issue with this, listeners. And the interesting aspect of this is um, the way that, she, that, that uh, well, I won't give away, the way that they um, asked this question. And it's, hey, Coach Blue, uh, I need help with managing my anger. I found that ever since I've stopped using, I am, I am at a, hair, a, a hair's trigger. A hair's trigger. I don't know what that is. Oh, oh okay. I, um, it says, it can be frightening sometimes and very overwhelming. And I struggle with not yelling at my children for everything they do, even when it's not a big deal. It's hard for me to overcome this because I just feel like I'm constantly on edge. I need help with my anger issues. So this is kind of an interesting premise, listeners. And I think this is one of those aspects that we don't really dive into because we think, well, it's going to be all rainbows and lilies once you're on the other side of the addiction. But it's not. Reality is, is that now life on life terms means there's going to be problems. And when you've used for so long to kind of uh, compensate for some of these emotions and you've suppressed them, it's kind of an interesting paradigm shift. Now, I know most of you have heard that anger is a secondary emotion. It's one of those taglines that a lot of us therapists use. And it's kind of funny because, you know, yes and no. Anger doesn't have to just be a secondary emotion. It's like when you hear someone say, you know, doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results is insanity. Well, there's a lot more to it than that. And so after you know, 20 plus years in the industry, you start hearing these taglines and it's like, all right, well, let's, let's dive into what this really means. I mean, great taglines and it sounds awesome rolling off the tongue, but you know, anger being a secondary emotion, yes and no, but let's start with that. If it is considered a secondary emotion, that means there's something driving it, right? There's something behind the anger. I also think that anger can be a primary emotion, which is, you know, I guess kind of contrary, but it's also a great motivator. So the anger that, that this person's talking about isn't that kind. It's that kind where, where like wits are at their end or frustration is at a peak, or maybe like there is some fear and maybe even some anxiety and maybe even some, some trouble brewing inside of there. So let's dive into it. Anger management is one of these things I think that uh, uh, a lot of treatment programs will give you. They'll, they'll slide you the uh, anger management packet and they'll be like, you know, finish this packet and come talk to your case manager. And that's kind of a funny thing. 
But nonetheless, okay, so anger can be frightening and can be super overwhelming, especially when uh, you find yourself kind of in the, the depths of that. First and foremost, I'd say the number one thing I would recommend is find some place to relax, okay? And, and taking a moment to just reset and relax, you know, um, simple relaxation tools like, like breathing and, and kind of some guided imagery can really help calm down some of that, those, those feelings of anger. And it sounds kind of funny because when you have a house full of kids and you're trying to like get things done and you're losing your mind, when are you going to do that? So the cool thing, and I've seen this, I've done this with EMDR quite a bit with some of the clients I work with, and that's establishing what's called a calm place before they do some of their EMDR therapy. I do what's called the calm place with them. And I've worked with them after the fact too. And they say that when they start getting upset or they start struggling a little bit um, with mood, they'll revert back into that calm place and reestablish that mindset through guided imagery, through, through what we, we were able to set in motion with EMDR. And it works really well. In fact, it can be as simple as just restating the word that you associate it with for it to take its grip. And so finding a place to relax isn't going to always be that easy, but there are some things we can do to create that beforehand. Now, I know there's lots of books and lots of things that you can read about relaxation, but there are also a, a maraud of like uh, tools on the internet. I mean, I've seen, I've seen YouTube videos that have like eight hours of like light rain or, or rolling water and oceans and all these kind of things. And so putting some headphones on and taking a minute for yourself, going for a, a little bit of a, of a separation walk or something is a really good thing. But breathing, okay, from the diaphragm is really important when you're trying to lower uh, that anger score. Now, it's kind of funny. I remember watching cartoons when I was a kid, um, specifically uh, back in the olden days with uh, you know, the Flintstones. And I remember, I can't remember if it was the Flintstones or one of these cartoons, but you guys remember cartoons when someone would get super mad and then they'd go to turn all red. And then they would like take a moment, maybe like Bugs Bunny or something. I can't remember, but you know what I'm talking about. And they're getting ready to explode. And then they just kind of like start breathing and counting, you know, and you know, sometimes you guys notice this, remember, they used to take like some pills or something too to like calm down their, their, their blood pressure. I remember cartoons like this, or maybe I'm going crazy, but that works when you start breathing and you start breathing, you know, sometimes they, they would, uh, you know, slowly as they're breathing, see that, that red, you know, like a filler kind of start to release. It's true. So I was talking to another friend of mine and he was talking about a book that he read about breathing. Now, you've got to really be in a good mindset to read a book on breathing, but the content that he had that I'm going to read because of the recommendation is that people that breathe through your mouth and not through your nose exhibit higher anxiety. They have more health problems and it's harder for them to decrease the stress, which typically leads to anger, right? And so breathing through your diaphragm and being able to allow your chest to fully you know, take in all the oxygen and breathe out is super important. Oxygen is, is a great way for us to start focusing in on what's really causing some of these issues. So slow, like repetitive breaths, deep breaths with some imagination kind of like kicking in, like maybe it's that calm place through EMDR. Maybe it's that, that mindset of having the uh, headphones on with the beach. Um, maybe it's starting your day with something like yoga or meditation to, to kind of like preemptively strike the anger, but find ways to start relaxing. The second thing I would say about anger management would be kind of getting into some cognitive restructuring, meaning like changing your mind, changing the way you think, which 
sounds like an easy thing to do, but it's a little harder than you might imagine. And sometimes it's because the anger motivates us to react instead of act, right? So reacting is to the situation. Acting is to some, is, is for you to a degree to be able to move yourself into position to de-escalate. So angry people, they tend to curse and swear and, and they, they, uh, they speak some pretty colorful, colorful terms when they're upset, right? And it's a reflection on their inner thoughts, you know? So if they're losing their mind, it's because their inner thoughts are kind of like uh, going haywire and they're just kind of like repeating what they're you know, kind of visually seeing inside their mind. And when your anger um, starts to kind of get over dramatic, which we've seen before, I think maybe I had a stepdad that was like this, man, his, his anger was always kind of like peaked and it was really kind of strange. I'm like, dude, it's not a big deal. But to him, it was like, you've ruined the house because you put a chip in the cupboard paint. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. But it was like, you know, his anger was so dramatic that it was like, man, walking on eggshells. And so to replace those thoughts with rational ones, it takes some, it, it really does take some practice, right? Because if you keep telling yourself, you know, oh, it's so awful, it's so terrible, the situation is so bad, you're going to react to that. You're going to want everyone else to feel that way too. The funny thing I've seen in, in, in situations like this is when um, I, I've caught, in, you know, and I've caught myself doing this too. I can't really say that I've seen it from a lot of people, but I've caught myself doing this where I'm upset at something that maybe the kids have done. Maybe it's it's the nemesis of them leaving their flipping bathroom light on. The bathroom light is upstairs. And so I come out of my bedroom and I can always look up there and see it. And that thing is just always burning. I mean, like 24 seven. I'm like, do you guys not know how to do this? Right. So, you know, I remember just a couple months ago, I was so upset with him. I'm like, you guys, would you please turn off your light? For the love of Mike, why can't you do this? I walked up there. I'm like, it's like this. I had them gather up. You push here. See, huh, lights off. Push here. Huh, lights on. When you leave, huh, push light off. And I was like going over and over. I started repeating myself because I only had about a minute of angry content. But since I had their attention, I wanted to give them like 30 minutes. So I kept repeating myself and repeating myself and pretty soon it turned into kind of a joke. And I'm like, yeah, what am I doing? This is stupid. And so that happens a lot too. When you're mad, you'll see people start to kind of recycle their thoughts because they only have a couple minutes of content, but they have hours of like, you know, pissed off anger. So kind of an interesting thing. Cognitive restructuring means that you're, you're kind of looking at, looking at it through a set of different eyes and maybe it's saying, well, all right, why am I losing my mind when they leave that light on? Well, because that was something that I got in trouble for. And I'm like, what is the big deal? Is it really draining like thousands of dollars out of the energy bank account that is, you know, the Robinson, you know, utility bill? I don't think so. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's probably not the most energy efficient thing, but if it's a misstep or, or, a, or a situation by which they were in a rush or just not paying attention, me getting upset hasn't changed anything. You know why? Because I can guarantee you I can woke up right now and the light would be on. So whose problem is it? It's mine. So either I can go up there and turn off their, their I'll turn off to go over here to the corner here and turn off their power. Or I can go turn off the light bulbs and it would be their problem. But I don't have enough motivation or energy to do that either. So restructuring my mindset is like, you know, kind of saying, well, whose problem is it? If it's that big of a problem, I guess I better walk up there and turn those off, even though I really want them to do it, right? problem solving kind of feeds into this and problem solving sometimes uh, our anger and our frustrations caused by very real 
problems in life. And sometimes they're, they're very overwhelming and not all anger is misplaced. Like I told you before, some of it's kind of healthy. Uh, it can be because it motivates, you know, change in direction. Um, but like this person's asking, you know, how, when does it, when does it not become a problem solving thing when you start breaking and, and hurting relationships? So the best attitude to have a problem solving mindset is to kind of establish yourself in a situation where um, you look at how to solve the issue yourself, because whose problem is it? I can't stress that enough. Now, my problem solving anger is going to be me going up there and turning off that light. I can be mad at them all I want. I can yell at them. It hasn't changed anything, but what it is doing is hurting the relationship with me and them ever so slightly. And I'm not saying that like, they're like, my dad is the worst dad in the world because he's telling me to turn off my lights. But all in the same breath, um, it's it could cause a void there too because I'm always seeing what they're doing wrong. How often am I seeing them doing right? And so problem solving means that either I've got to go up there and take out the light bulbs so they can't have power or I have to just go up there and turn it off myself or I leave it alone and it's just this forever burning like, like light in the dark, right? Um, better communication is huge on this. Being able to, to verbalize what's causing the stress. You asking this question is huge in this aspect because it's you identifying that something's off. And a lot of times it's probably feelings of being overwhelmed, feelings of stress, feelings of being uh, 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 others being ungrateful. So better communication and you being able to identify. If you if you ask someone, what's wrong? Why are you, Why are you so angry? And you respond to them with an, I don't know. We have a huge problem. Because your I don't know means that you don't want to think. And that's probably causing some of your anger. So whenever one of my kids says, I don't know, they know immediately they're getting hit with the, I don't know, means you don't want to think. So how am I supposed to problem solve your issue if you're not thinking about it? Because everything I'm giving you, you're shooting down like clay pigeons. And so better communication means that you are willing to go to the source cause of what's creating it all. And that's not easy because sometimes it's your issue. Sometimes you are the problem. And then, of course, being able to change your environment, I think, is a big part of some anger management uh, skills. That means if you're upset at a situation or an issue, simply remove yourself for, for a moment and, and change your, your scenery and then practice the breathing, practice the problem solving, practice the communication. You don't need to stay in the thick of things. You can remove yourself and put yourself into that position where, you know, life isn't as hard as I'm, I'm making it. It's a great question. And it happens a lot because remember, your mind is in that in the, in the processing setting of I used to use in order to feel good. And we don't realize how many feelings it suppressed, not just, you know, feelings of sadness and depression and, and all those other things, but also things that cause anger, anger itself. And so you are relearning how to be an emotionally stable person, which sometimes doesn't go hand in hand with recovery. Um, I would be very open and honest with your loved ones about what's causing the anger. Um, there'll be some things that you can't control and some, well, you can't control anything really, you know, let's be honest, controls the goals, but there's things you can manage and things that you just, you shouldn't even attempt if you're feeling overwhelmed like that, because anger and the, the verbal abuse and the things that typically come with it very rarely is it, you know, associated with, with, with physical outbursts. It can, but it's more so the, the verbal parts of that. And I'll tell you, words cut pretty deep. 
I still remember anger outbursts of my stepdad that really kind of hit in, in weird spots with me. Like one time I was doing dishes and he came out pissed off at something. And, and, uh, you know, one of my jobs and responsibilities was doing dishes. And, um, you know, he, he's like, what are you? You dumb as a box of rocks. And man, that pissed me off. But I'm like, what are they going to say? Cause if I challenge him on that, where's that going to lead? But I just remember those subtle things. And, you know, it's like, wow. And I've probably done some damage like that to my own family, just because it's like things like this are kind of hard to, to avoid when they're so ingrained, but the practice is going to make uh, permanent, meaning, you know, you keep practicing this stuff, especially the breathing and the meditation and the relaxation and things are going to cause a little bit of Zen to fall into your life. Be great for you. So it's a great question. Uh, these are the kind of things that I love discussing because they're real attributes to addiction recovery. Um, and so, yeah, we have another question here that I am not qualified to answer. And, and partially because it's a, it's a very personal question. And I'm just, I just don't know enough about the issue. And the issue or the question uh, that I'll share with you is, Coach Blue, it looks like the Olympics are on and I'm excited to watch. This will be the first time in a long time. I'm really excited to see the world's best participate, mostly because of my own running and the things I've been doing within the team but I'm curious about your opinion on one thing and it has nothing to do with addiction, more so your personal understanding of transgender athletes participating within the sex they identify with. What are your thoughts, coach? Um, interesting. It's an, in, it's an interesting debate. Um, I'm very much not qualified to even answer this, but since you're asking for my own thoughts and opinions, I'll, I'll, I'll do so. Um, I think it's an incredibly challenging issue, and it's one that I never thought, uh, obviously, would ever be an issue because of some of my own, um, I guess, naive mindsets growing up. Um, but I, as I was thinking about this, and I was even debating even asking this or answering this question, you guys, just because I'm like, you know, in this woke world that we live in, you say one thing right or one thing wrong, and it, it could be lights out for you. And so I don't really care because I know that you know, none of us are going to think the same, but if you're asking this question, it must be something that you're intrigued by, unless you are a little bit sadistic and you want me to get chewed out by the internet. Um, I can foresee a time when they'll probably have their own category. And I hate to say that, but it's going to be probably a situation where, um, is it fair for someone who had male dominance to now compete in female events? Um, I, I would I would say bio, on a biological platform, probably not. Um, I could see in an attitude and a belief system, probably. But just like we do with some other uh, sporting events for some adaptive sports, I can probably see this being one day like the norm by which we have mainstream. Then we have the other mainstream, which is like um, the, dis the, the disabled athletes, you know, like the Special Olympics and the Olympics for or disabled athletes. And then we see, you know, the category of, of the gender identification. And I think it's kind of an interesting thing and it's going to take a lot of hard work, but um, the word fair, I think is interesting, right? Is it fair? Um, we know that life isn't fair, that there's a lot of those situations where, you know, we, we'd like to look at it and, and think it's as easy as, as the black or white uh, and, and not realizing there's a ton of gray in there. Um, I'm again, I'm not qualified to answer this question. My, I guess my ultimate goal is uh, I'm, I'm glad that I'm not the one making these decisions, but I also feel for those who feel left out. 
Um, and I also feel for those who, who feel like their, their spots being taken by someone that, uh, you know, that biologically probably didn't, didn't match up to them at one point. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe this is a, a, a way to, I'm not sure because I've never seen the competition between uh, transgender and uh, a gender specific athlete and, and what, what the, you know, what the crossovers are. I've read a few stories and things, but I'm sure there's a lot more that we've not seen. Um, so for me, I think the jury's kind of still out. I don't know what that would look like. Um, you know, it's interesting when you watch sports in general, uh, specifically like we'll talk long distance running. And when I see like, like men's competitions and women's competitions, it's, it's interesting. Let's take the, uh, let's take the, the warrior, um, uh, what is it? American Ninja Warrior, okay? So here's the deal. It's an interesting thing because maybe it, I'm just having an idea. Maybe this turns into like, not just like a, you know, a male versus female, but maybe it's kind of a body type and kind of a, like a, a weight divisions. I don't know. But if you watch American Ninja Warrior, you'll see that there are times when some of the females compete really neck and neck with some of the men and vice versa. And so I really think it's, it's an interesting paradigm. When you do something like that, where you start seeing people, um, you know, uh, get a little bit more, I guess, I don't know, strong in, in a sporting, uh, I guess, event like the Ninja Warrior course. It's been real interesting because I'll bet you that we'll start seeing some, some, some closer times get closer together as, you know, as, as we adjust, as we evolve, things like that. So I'm kind of not the right person to ask about this because I haven't done a lot of deep diving on it. My own personal thing is uh, I believe that everyone should be included. Um, what that looks like, it could be again. It could be having like like a very specific category for for that, as we do with other things and situations. But um, I know that uh, with with that, it might bring some you know some naysayers and stuff about why are we catering? Well, because again, we live in a world now where we want to make sure that everyone gets a shot, um, and that's for both sides. That's for the the uh, you know for the for the transgenders you know folks, and it's also for for mainstream. I think it's one of these things where, you know, there's, there's a lot to learn. And I think making staunch opinions on these kind of things, much like what I had back in the day for uh, MAT, medicated assisted therapy, by coming out and saying, thus saith blue, uh, I'm not changing anyone's minds. No one really cares what I think. I think that's kind of a funny thing. If I really believe that people cared what I think, uh, I would probably be very staunch in a lot of my beliefs and a lot of mine are passive. So it's an interesting question and I know who you are. And I think you asked that question because you didn't think I would answer it. And that's all you're getting from me on that one because I just don't know. And I'm not gonna pretend to be an expert on something like this uh, uh, because I haven't done the research on it. But um, I do know this, I've seen, I've, I've seen many athletes um, of opposite genders crush others because of just their heart, their training, their skill set. Um, you know, lots of women beat me. And so I get, I get where this is going, uh, on the same breath. Um, I'm excited that the, Olymp the Olympics are on. I love the Olympic spirit. I love the Olympic sports. I think it's great. I'd highly recommend all of you tuning in. Um, it'll be interesting as this is kind of the tail end of the pandemic, what it's going to look like, but, uh, yeah, there's a lot of effort and training goes in my heart kind of broke last year when the athletes didn't get to participate or compete because of COVID and sometimes this is their one shot. And so uh, hopefully this will go off without a hitch and we'll, we'll see some amazing things come out of it. So yeah, jump on, check it out. 
I'm not even sure when they start. I think it's is it is it in July or August or maybe even September. I don't I don't even know. I know I know it's soon though. So check that out. Um, so I was looking also on here, uh, viewers, listeners, and everybody, and I was seeing a few things that I wanted to bring up and maybe start a conversation about, even if it's an offline conversation. Um, and that is a, a little bit about what we're seeing in, in the news and in media. Uh, as it pertains to um, some addiction news, things that are kind of interesting and things that I've noticed that have a little bit of, uh, I don't know, of thought-provoking material, I guess you could say. Um, so there's a lot more people coming out now that I never thought would about their addictions. And remember, we live in a, live in a world by which when Team Addict to Athlete was established 10 years ago, um, anonymity was still very much a, a, a driver of, of the hush-hush community. You don't talk about your addiction, you don't identify outside as an addict and, and so on and so forth. We're seeing a huge shift in that. So much so that I'm wondering about some of the mainstream groups like 12 Steps when I see people posting pictures of their sponsors and sponsees on Facebook and saying, this is my sponsee and look how great they're doing. And I'm thinking, eh, your you're traditions, careful. Um, but I also know that uh, that's why Team Addict to Athlete never um, went down that path. You know, when we when we opened up that mindset of we're not ashamed of what we've where we've been and we want to educate where we're going, um, it was kind of an interesting thing. And like you know, we got pushback from that. But I truly believe that with identification and with some some you know some proper healing, uh, your story can inspire. Why in the world would we keep that um, quiet, right? And so the interesting thing about that too is that uh, you know people like um, um, uh, Kelly Osborne and and Taylor Swift you know Kelly Osborne coming out talking about her addiction Taylor Swift opening up about an eating disorder last year there's all these things that that people are talking about now that it's like yeah we've struggled with this are real people um, you know and we all know about you know Demi Lovato and and her you know changing and creating a meaning of, of a sober community and things of that nature and it's interesting because of that mindset of um, I'm not hiding from this anymore so I also believe that there should be some things that are held sacred to you as well and what I mean by that is there are some things that you probably don't want to disclose or wear on your sleeve for the simple fact of you know what's it going to bring for instance, on Team Addict to Athlete, we never a war story. We don't talk about the old days. We, you know, in, in our meetings, we don't, you know, we don't talk about the negative stuff that addiction brought to us because we're not focused on the past anymore. We're focused on the here and now and, and then the future. And so when we get into war storing, I've noticed that um, we start turning on the lights of other people around us. And that's where I think the community remains sick. Um, I think that, uh, that with that mindset of like, you know, you know, the good old days, because yeah, let's face it, there were some good times in addiction. If there weren't, we wouldn't have, have stayed so close to it for so long. But there became a part and a time and a situation where that wasn't the case anymore, and it won't be going forward. And so one of the things that I've noticed is that um, there are a lot of people that go in there and they, they tend to not tell their story as much as war story. And that's not, it's not healthy. It's not positive. Um, I know that it's a kind of a flex and it's kind of one of these things that uh, might've you know, been part of your reputation, but we're past that now because now we're moving into character. And so, um, you know, someone asked recently, it wasn't on this forum, but about our addict to athlete meetings and, and how they were different. And I said, you're going to have to come and attend to, to, to get a feel for it. 
And it's because it shares a positive inspirational message. We correlate uh, addiction and addiction recovery to, to health, wellness, sports, and recreation. Um, and contrary to popular belief, we're not all about bigger, better, faster, stronger. None of us care about lifting the most weight, you know, getting the most views, um, breaking world records. We just want to go out there and erase and replace. And so you've got to check it out to see. Um, but there's other things in the news I want to talk about. Um, we're seeing now that uh, as the, as the uh, um, what is it, the uh, Purdue Pharma, now that uh, all that's kind of come down the pipeline, that now advocates and victims are beginning to come out and start to proceed with legal uh, infractions. This is going to be very interesting to watch, and I would highly recommend that you keep an eye on this because it's going to set the precedence and the tone for whatever comes next within medication. Because we're living in this new, uh, I guess, world by which um, no sin will go unnoticed, right? And what I mean by that is, um, you know, back in the day, you guys all know this, you know, Purdue Pharma, they went wild on trying to promote Oxycontin as not being addictive, as being a safe substitute. Um, and because that wasn't the case um, and the money was, was being rolled in, I really think they believed they were big, they were, you know, they, they were out of the law, reach of the law. Um, and there's, there's document, there's documentaries on this. There's all kinds of things. Um, I just watched one recently on HBO max that, uh, had to do with this. Um, we have the, the pharmacist on Netflix. I highly recommend watching it shows some of that. Um, but you have to remember you guys that where there's money, there's going to be people that want it. And so, um, it's interesting to see what's happening. And I'm curious to know, uh, those who are going to be the front runners and the front line of, of seeking compensation for damages and loss for people that have lost their battle to addiction through uh, the use of these substances specifically. I'm going to be very interested to see the counterattack by which they try to, uh, I guess, push the addict mentality. And it's going to be very curious for me because what I've noticed in the community at large is that um, once the Oxycontin and once the pain pills and all these things stop, people typically had to go to heroin and to those kind of situations to get um, that same, I guess, filler for the void that, that the, the pill had. And the problem with that is when will, when will they start kind of using the addict mentality against them? Um, I'm curious to see, and I want to follow this real close to see if, you know, to see how sympathetic maybe a jury, maybe a judge, maybe attorney, you know, the law enforcement agencies in, in and of itself are when this is, how can they prove that this medication drove this person to this? I mean, cause I remember working with lots of clients during this period of time where they were on this medication could no longer afford that medication because the medication put them in a position where they lost their jobs because they were always using it and couldn't function. And then they couldn't afford said medication. And so what happens? Heroin, right? So what happens when the person overdoses on that and not the other? Uh, there's going to be some, there's going to be some rough waves coming up here, um, but I'm curious and I want to stay close to this because I want to see what happens and I want to see the mud that was going to be slung because these people don't want to lose their money. And the money isn't really about replacing the loved one that passed. It's about compensation for what our real problem is going to be. And I need you all to be very aware of this. No one's talking about this yet, but we need to be very aware of this next generation of youth by which the government has labeled them 
you know, the uh, opiate orphans, which I think is a horrible name for this, but it rings true. Um, these are the children of the thousands and thousands of people who have lost their battle. These are the kids who are being raised by grandparents or by family or by foster families because their primary caregiver has passed. And if you think right now that we have a problem with mood and behavior and mental health, these children are, are getting older each year and they're entering a system by which their primary needs weren't met to the best of, their, uh, of, of the ability of the caregiver. And the sad thing about that is what's going to happen on a mental health platform when these kids who um, experience significant loss, um, they don't understand this stuff. That's going to be hard for them to, to know where my mom or where my dad is, uh, or sometimes where both of them are. What happens when they start to mature? Are these going to be the future, um, I, I guess, situations of addiction, mental health, depression, sadness, suicide? We need to take a very hard approach at this. I would say that a significant amount of money that um, Purdue has to probably cough up needs to go to families and children um, for not just you know mental health care, but for some education and some experience and some abilities to like to tap into whatever's going to create value, worth, and love in these in these kids because. I'm not dinging whoever's raising their, their, these children. To me, those people are saints and, and what a blessing. But what happens when a grandparent's raising a grandchild because mom and dad have passed away due to an overdose and then grandparents get old, right? And they, as they tend to, none of us make it out of this life alive. What happens to that kid then? I mean, the significant emotional turbulence and damage that's already been done. Oh, how do you, I mean if you're hearing this, let's get a research study going because these are the things we need to follow. You have to understand that there are thousands of children in this paradigm. And, you know, we've talked about this in the past. I've talked about it with Josh Hansen and a few other people about putting together some things through our Addict to Athlete Minor League to prepare ourselves for these situations so that these kids don't have to grow up without. See, the Addict to Athlete Minor League was established really, really soon after Team Addict to Athlete because what I noticed is that the, the athletes who had addictions themselves would specifically come and participate on, on the team. And after a while, because of the emotionally safe environment, the content that was being, being taught, the, uh, the, the, the non-smoking and non-coffee drinking afterwards because we're running was a very safe environment for their kids. The language was pure. The topic was good. And so to me, it was the ultimate compliment when we started having you know, people who, who struggle with addiction bring their kids because here's the premise, people. When I took a step back and I looked at the whole picture, specifically with the Addict to Athlete Minor League, okay, I, I saw this, this very, very early on when I was working at the Utah County Division of Substance Abuse. And the interesting thing about this was they would come, I was a day treatment therapist. And so my clients would come in the morning, they'd spend you know, about you know, 9 a.m. till you know, 12.30 p.m. Um, with me. They'd go to their drug court counselor after that for about an hour. They'd probably check in with their probation officer. Then they had to go to their job, they had to go to work, right? And so you're looking at, at you know, half the day in treatment, you know, early afternoon in, in responsibilities, you know, DCFS, you know, probation, uh, you know, a drug court advisors, all these people. And then they had to go to work and then they had to go to 12 step meetings because that's all that we provided back then. 
And, he, and, then they, and then here I am trying to teach them how to be better parents. Well, when the flip do they get to spend time with their kids? Because we've occupied their time so much so that they can become producers and creators of, of positive and, and reinforcement with their families. But guess what? They have no time with their kids. And so we're requiring them to do all these aftercare meetings and all this other stuff, but there's no time. And then they wonder why they struggle. And we wonder why these kids still feel like so, um, I guess, detached from their parents. Well, when we created Addict Athlete, that was, a, that was a residual effect that I didn't realize. And that was when these people brought their children to me. That was a great honor. It was respectful because I've been in other meetings and other meetings are not safe for kids, 100%. The language is terrible. The, 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 the environment is, is a little bit intense. Now, don't get me wrong. This isn't all of them. But it's the ones that I've seen personally. And a lot of times it's, 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 the, it's the feeling and the mood associated with, with promoting the negative aspects and I was not going to do that on our team. We weren't going to do that because that's the old them. They're moving from addicts to athlete, to, to father, to scholar, to, you know, to arts, whatever. They're, they're moving past it. We're not going to focus on that. And when you start motivating that, what a great thing for their kids to see is, is you know, my dad who was in jail and all this stuff. And, and now he's out here running. He's, he's serving in his community. He's, he, you know, he's inspiring. I'm going to go run with this guy. And pretty soon these families are training and running and playing and recreating together. That's what it's all about. I went back recently and looked at some of our photos um, as I'm putting together a 10 year slideshow for the end of year review of 10 years. We've watched our minor league grow up from little kids to people who are now in college, who are getting married, who are, who are living you know, lives. And it's like, what a great thing for them to, to be inspired by, to look at their parents as my dad or my mom can do hard things. She's a marathon runner. She's overcome addiction. She's, you know, she's, she's, she serves in her community. She has an amazing job and uh, we have this relationship. So when I look at this and I think, all right, this, this opiate epidemic that has stolen all these children, parents, um, we have a huge responsibility. And our responsibility is to be there for them. It's, it's to kind of prepare them that like, you know, you want to talk about a workforce, right? A workforce that's coming up because, you know, they expect loss and they expect, you know, the, the sadness and the, and the disappointments and you know, their outlook on life is going to be different, you guys. It just is. And we haven't seen anything like this in history. So it's going to be very interesting. If we're not prepared and we're going for all this money and all this stuff for, for our families, we got to remember that there are children associated with this that lost more than any kind of, you know, I guess, uh, uh, donation or, or, or settlement or lawsuits going to bring them. They've lost their family. And so, I don't know. The Addict to Athlete Minor League is a, is a beautiful thing. And being able to, uh, to help families, I guess, reestablish relationships through health, wellness, recreation, participation, it's kind of an interesting thing. Our kids on the team have seen some some pretty amazing things and they've been a part of some amazing stuff. And it's a it's a group that we don't talk about a lot because, you know, obviously it's kids, uh, but it's something that I think is is really close to my heart because I've watched these kids grow up and and you know, they've you know, several of them have outreached to me and said, "Coach, you know, I'm going to I'm going to school to be going to psychology or or, or counseling." Um, can I talk to you? And, and I love that kind of stuff, you know? Um, so we've got to be prepared. We've got to be ready. Um, the Addict to Athlete Minor League is an amazing thing, uh, specifically because, again, when you have someone in addiction recovery and they have all this, all these fines and all this 
therapy and all these counselings and you know rehabs that cost more than 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 your house ever will um yeah it's hard to maintain the family so are they to do without i'll never forget the time that one of the athletes approached me and said that they were stuck because their son wanted to play football and they wanted to play football so bad but it cost like over 400 bucks to get them this the, the gear everything they're going to need to play they didn't have 400 bucks they had court fines, they had probation fines, they had house payments, they had food payments, and they didn't have the financial stability to get this kid on the field. And if he didn't get this kid on the field, what do you think was going to happen? Instead of being on the field playing, that kid's going to be under the bleachers using and dealing. What the crap? And I'm thinking, all right, so all these able you know, families who don't have addictions, who, who are, are you know, doing great their kids get to play, but his doesn't. And it was right kind of soon after Addict Athlete started, we started doing the minor league and it hit me. It's like, that's what our nonprofit status is for. And so I pulled him in. I said, look, we're going to, we're going to sponsor your kid. Addict Athlete's going to sponsor your kid. We're going to pay the 400 and plus dollars, whatever it is. Um, and you don't have to tell your kid where it come from. I don't care about that. But what you need to do is show up to the games. You need to be the first one there and the last one to leave. You need to bring the orange slices or whatever it is that the high school kids do. Um, you got to cheer the loudest and you've got to be to every game. If you can commit me to commit to that, we'll get it done. And the sad thing was, is we lost that athlete through participation because he became a father and a doting father. And he started attending his kids games and that's where he was. And it worked. The kid got to play. And from what I gathered, he played all the way till he graduated. Um, kind of an amazing thing. And we can't do it alone. That's why we need your help with our nonprofit status. That's why we do things like our 5K. And that's why we do things like our Patreon and that kind of stuff is because we need your help to kind of keep this going. Um, contrary to popular belief, we're very, we're a very uh, uh, I say, uh, meek kind of program right now. Um, we've gone out for grants and things for Team Added to Athlete, you know, uh, to help minor league and, and other areas. Um, and we keep getting, you know, getting rejected. It's kind of a funny thing because and maybe it's a little bit of that, like what the crap mentality in my head, because every time I see a grant that we missed, but then I see what they're doing with the grant money, I kind of shake my head and I'm like, are you guys serious? Like, for instance, you know, we're putting together like our minor league program, you know, to, to promote, uh, you know, family involvement. We've seen it. We have it going. It's working right now um, as evidenced by go look at families who are running with their kids. Go look at these experiences and these uh, these recreational activities that we put together weekly for these kids minor league podcast to get the kids uh, on to, to hear real teen issues and parents to, to learn how to communicate with their kids, real stuff going on. Yeah. I see grants who, who have received grants and months after receiving it, they're debating on what font to use for a newsletter. Are you kidding me? Yeah, they're, they're, what, what kind of color should we use for a billboard? What? I don't know. That's it's, it's a weird thing. And maybe that's just a little bit of like the, the, are you joking me? Like after, after four months of receiving a grant, you're worried about what font to use on a sign? It blows my mind. Um, so that's why we need your help. That's why, that's why Team Addict to Athlete does it what it does so that we can get these, these, uh, these events and these, these things planned for not just a minor league, but for the adults too. Um, that's why right now our Addict to Athlete uh, uh, 5K is up for registration. We're going to be having it in person this year, but because we had such a great response last year from all over the country, we want to extend that to everybody over the world. You can jump onto a virtual race. We'll send you your bib and all that kind of stuff. But that's why it's important. 
And it's important because we see what it does. It helps people heal. That's why, you know, uh, training our sober coaches is so important and getting people certified to open chapters of this all over the community so that they can bring this to their hometown or they can bring this to their agency so they can see there's a more excellent way to recover that's not going to cost the price of a, of a, of a home these days, right? Um, and I think that, uh, that that's kind of where the satisfaction of what Team Addict to Athlete truly does. And so we've kind of gone all over today. Um, I had a couple more questions, but I did get on a soapbox today. But um, maybe just to, to finish off for today, I want to thank all of you who have, who have subscribed to the podcast, who have donated through Patreon, um, who've donated just directly. I think that, uh, you know, with COVID hitting and all this kind of stuff, it's, it's put us all in kind of a hard spot. But we want Addict to Athlete to be our full-time jobs. We really do. I think it would be awesome to be able to give this stuff out to the community as we do for free, as we do, and to push our podcast, our content even further out there. Um, donations and contributions go into helping people uh, get services. You know, it helps the, helps the minor league kind of get into positions where they can, they can compete, and it helps us get our our content and our, uh, and, our, and our access to recovery out there further. Um, this is why we've launched the online program. Go check it out. We have some cool stuff on there. This is going to be um, a, a, a route that you should look at first before you commit the thousands and thousands, um, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars to treatment, to therapy and to counseling that could, you know, potentially put a financial burden. Um, and we'll be very honest with you, if you don't qualify because your addiction is such that it needs those kind of resources, you know, we'll be very thorough with you. Uh, and although we do not align with any program, we can point you in the direction on where to start so that you have some educated decisions on where you're going to invest your time, your energy, your money, and your loved one's attention. So check us out. You can, you can jump on, uh, again, the website, addedtoathlete.org. You can reach out to Marissa. It's uh, Marissa, M-A-R-I-S-S-A, at addedtoathlete.org, or myself, Blue, B-L-U, at addedtoathlete.org. Thank you all for, uh, in, for enduring that little soapbox episode. You know, manage your, manage your anger, right? And, and uh, you know, watch the Olympics that are coming up. I think it's going to be great. We'll keep you guys informed of uh, all the happenings. I want to thank Radio Ronan, the Radio Ronan Network, for all that they do, keeping us uh, on the Radio Ronan platform, Josh, Spencer, Chandler, and, of course, Chunga. Um, and I really do appreciate uh, all, of the, all of the Patreon subscribers. I mean, again... $2 a month will get you all of the um, bonus content. And I think that's that in and of itself, the micro doses of the uh, online recovery playbook, go check it out. It's pretty cool stuff. It's building on each other. But I want to thank our super fans, Jerem Thurston, Holly Davies, Scott Foster, and the Foster family, Coach Chris Williams. Coach, great job at the Leadville Heavy Half. I, or, no, you did in the fall, I think. Um, that is not an easy marathon and you, you got cut off at an aid station, but to me, I know your heart would have kept you going, but congratulations, coach Williams. You are a rock star in my book. If you guys don't know what the Leadville heavy half or the Leadville hundred is, go check it out because it's nothing like you've ever seen before it's running, running a marathon, half marathon ultra, um, in uh, what, above 13,000 feet, 12,000. I can't remember. It's high. It's way up there. Okay. Congratulations, coach. Um, thank you, Brett Fru, Coach Cress, uh, sorry, Coach Tara Butson, Steve Riggs. Thank you, Chelsea Olson, and thank you to the Warrior Within Podcast of Personal Development by Sensei KP. 
check out his podcast, you guys. KP has amazing content and a lot of it flows with what we teach here at Addict Athlete. And so the Warrior Within podcast, it's who you are, your warriors within. The rookie level subscribers, thanks so much, Kenny Roseman, Earl Dyer, and Joe Jackson across the pond. Joe, we haven't seen you for a while. I want to make sure you're okay, brother. Uh, jump on and say hi to us. We're, we're like, dude, we haven't had our dose of Joe in a minute. So checking in. The pro level subscribers, thank you so much, Selena Armitage. Great podcast, Selena. Thank you so much, Gary Thurston and Josh Hansen who subsequently is our art guy who does all of our logos. So thank you, Josh. And our championship level subscribers, the highest tier, it's the most perks, the most benefit uh, of being Patreon. That goes out to Shad and Freya Robison and the Robison family, Ron and D. Loesch and Tracy Whitby. You championship level subscribers are near and dear to my heart. Thank you so much. If you'd like to become a Patreon subscriber, patreon.com slash addict, T-O athlete. We'll get you there and tell athletes. Until next time, go turn that mess into a very powerful, powerful message.